Welcome to the Reformist Pipeline, your dose of empowerment and the pipeline to inform your decisions on how you can support change in our education system. Wow, we're back. Okay, for those that do not know, this is the voice of Lindsay, affectionately known as Miss Lex. And I'm Hadi Hot, Mr. Broussard, if you're feeling, yeah, Lindsay. This is it. I've missed it. We're back. I'm feeling so we're good. Back. Um, yeah. but, but yes, we're back and we're so glad to have our advocates back. Um, and, and moving through the season, we'll be referring to y'all as advocates. Um, and we hope to motivate everyone to advocate for change in our education system. And guess what, y'all? I mean, advocates. We are finally on social media. We got a lot of feedback about why well, I ain't got no Instagram page. Well, we like we like on it for real for real this time so follow us on instagram at the reformist pipeline to keep up with information about episodes or any other updates we believe our advocates should know to create change in our education system and our website is also live y'all find us and all of our content at thereformistpipeline.com a great place to catch up on all of the season one and provide us with any type of feedback that you have go ahead and check us out now let's go ahead and pretend we're in the classroom and establish our objective for the season this is semester one of a two-part season semester one will run through june and we are focusing on drum roll please creating the ideal school we will explore different ways in which we reimagine the ideal school, starting with our post-quarantine ideal school and what a reopened school should look like. So stay tuned because that's what we're going to talk about in our concept development today. But let's jump into our personal updates before we get to that because it's, it's been a minute. It's been yes. a minute. Um, so again, I'm Lindsay, affectionately known as Miss Black. Uh, I will be running the Instagram page. So if you haven't already, stop pausing, stop what you're doing. You know, it's probably playing already. Then go to Instagram and follow us at The Reformist Pipeline. I'm super excited about that because teaching virtually has taught me a lot. And one thing it has taught me is that I need to find pockets of joy and pockets of love. And I'm like, well, I don't have to just do education type things. You know, I could be like a social media manager and strategist. So I'm really excited about that um, and stepping into new things. My birthday was in February. Yes. Shout out to the Aquarius. Make it clear, not the Pisces February. Aquarius <laughs> February. And this year, my next uh, this solar return, uh, I've decided to really tap into my divine feminine. Now, feminine energy has power and I feel like I've neglected the power or not really nurtured it. Um, so right now I'm still in the transformation of redecorating my room because I want my physical environment to match my mindset. And I just love it. I just got an accent wall. It's gold, y'all, okay? Because there's some majestic vibe in there. Um, and shout out to everybody who donated to my registry for my birthday so I could put it all together. I really, really love y'all, including Jahat, including how he got here. Um, stop it, stop it. Those are the positive, positive updates. And the major one, I know it's not a personal update, but we are LLC now, baby. Yes. baby. Yes, we so are. when yes, you we say, are. when you say the reformist pipeline, you make sure you add a comma and a capital LLC to the end of that. You heard me. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I felt like we was uh, at the pink for a second. Love it. Okay. <laughs> pink 
Mississippi. But yes, love that, love that. No, but thank you so much for welcome back, Lens. Uh, welcome back, Miss Black. Welcome back, all of it. And so glad that we're back together and recording and all of this good stuff. Um, so yeah, so like last year, I think I, I went into the year with like, what am I going to focus on? So my theme of the year was accountability. I wanted to do a better job of holding myself accountable as well as holding others around me accountable. Cause that was just an area that I was just kind of struggling with. Um, yes, and, and so this year coming in, I was like, huh, how can I not only focus on what I did last year, but bring in something new this year. And so I added a blend of accountability as well as confidence. Um, and, and not to say that I'm not a confident person, but to say that that's still an area that I want to grow into. Um, as you all know, I got a new role this year, or actually got a new role last year. But you know, with having a new role, there comes different responsibilities. Um, and I'm learning to be one with my environment. I have an amazing supervisor um, who really focuses on nurturing me as opposed to just mm. having an expectation or unrealistic, unrealistic expectations, especially being a, a, a man who a black queer man um, working in, in a leadership role at a company, at an organization. And he kind of believes in me. And he's always that one. He's like, oh, OK, like what what are you focusing on? And so, like, how do you want to get there? And pushes me when I don't feel confident. He's like, oh, well, you said that you'll be working on what job? And I'm like, damn, just call me out again. So like, that's what I love about my new role. And that's what I love about uh, me entering this year um, of having that focus. And so I'm super excited to not be dwelling in any type of imposter syndrome um, and, and focusing on this. What's up? I, I just wanted to know, because I don't know if you saw it. But you just started off saying that last year, like your word was accountability and you were focusing on that. And now you transition into a role where somebody knows your goals and wants you to wants to hold you accountable to that. Like, I just mm. think it's crazy how you manifested that. You set that foundation last year and now mm. you've attracted accountability or attracted um, people in environments and spaces that want to hold you accountable. I don't know if you saw that, but I'm like. Come on, you better speak about it. No, and the thing is, is like, I did not see it in that, but I, so I will definitely be talking to him about that on Monday. Uh, but also I think it, it, it speaks to like the bigger picture, which is the people that are around me um, are folks that are always holding me accountable, including yourself. Um, and, and so I just love that. And I'm leaning into the discomfort of this new role. Um, and, and even though I feel uncomfortable at times, it's like, okay, like, but how are you going to get better? Um, so new with, with new roles come new opportunities. And I, I love the fact that this new role has kind of given me the platform to be back in the education space specifically um, and working with educators, because that's something that I have been missing. Um, I know I wasn't gone for that long, but it felt like forever. Um, and so I'm just excited uh, to just walk into whatever is being, whatever's meant for me is meant for me and living in the present mm -hmm. and now and embracing all of that good energy, that positivity uh, and, and what is to come. So I'm excited. I'm excited for our season, um, the LLC and so many other things that are going to come out of this year, this next year, this next season. Let's do it. Let's get it started. Just in case y'all forgot, now's the time where we jump into segments. Our first segment for this episode is terminology time. 
This segment is where we take a term from the world of education and break it down for our advocates. This week's term is Secretary of Education. That's right, <laughs> the Secretary of Education. So just in case you didn't know, the Secretary of Education that Biden recently appointed is Miguel Cardona. And so you're probably asking, what does the Secretary of Education do? I, I had the, the same question. So, but before I get into that, I wanna tell you one fact. The Department of Education was actually founded in 1980. And I honestly thought that that was wild because that was less than 50 years ago. Anyways, the, the Secretary of Education is responsible for creating rules on financial aid for education, distributing that money and making sure that it's being used appropriately, which is very interesting as we know, because that goes all the way to the university level as well as for the K through 12 level. And it has a lot to do with what's going on um, in the House and the Senate. Um, for the coronavirus stimulus bill, um, making sure that schools are getting funded. Secondly, the Secretary of Education is responsible for gathering the data on schools and sending out research so that folks can know and educators can know how to be responding to the different needs of the education system. They're also responsible for calling out key educational issues, talking about things as far as the digital divide, um, the opportunity gap and things of that nature. They also love to hopefully do a better job of creating more inclusive spaces uh, that are free from discrimination. Um, and I think that this is one of the biggest reasons why we even are here to uh, uplift this platform because of the fact that that's something that oftentimes does not happen. And the special educator in me always is worried about the student that is the most marginalized, which is the student that's most forgotten about. But last but not least, the Secretary of Education is the senior advisor to the president on all things education. So he's the one who could be telling Mr. President whether or not schools should receive waivers for testing this year, given the pandemic. Hmm. You know, in what's crazy, and I want to like lift this up for our advocates, our listeners, is that I really didn't know what the Secretary of Education did. And I'll be honest with y'all, like I can use context clues um, because I have that skill in my brain, but <laughs> I really could not verbalize to you what the Secretary of Education does. And I'm just really glad that we took this moment to do that. Um, and I'd also like to add that this Secretary of Education, unlike our incompetent last Secretary of Education, was actually a teacher. Like, he was actually a teacher, like, in a classroom. And so to be able to, like, look at him, like, my mom has always told me, it's like, she wanted me to be the President of the United States. I have no desire to be the president of the United States. I have no desire to be politically correct. I mean, I guess you don't have to because we just had another president who wasn't. But anyway, <laughs> um, but this is the first time that I could make that connection. I'm like, oh, like I could be in somebody's office. Like I am a teacher and although like it's not fully respected, it's respected enough where there was, there's somebody who's once a teacher who's the secretary of education. So it was just very enlightening for me as an educator. So, Wanted to uplift that part. I'm glad we went over it. Our next segment, y'all, is called We Love the Kids. Because we do. Now, this segment is actually one of my favorite segments because we get to talk about all the funny, crazy, powerful, and honestly, sometimes emotional things that happen with kids in the classroom. So we're going to give y'all a little taste today. Um, I hope this is funny, but I'm a deep thinker, so I make everything, like, much bigger than what it is. But... I do this thing, and I'm sure lots of virtual teachers do, um, to allow kids like first three to five minutes in the classroom, a virtual classroom, I have like a PowerPoint slide with like a fun activity they can do. Uh, they like, would you rather? And so one of them was, would you rather fall in love 
or fall in chocolate. And um, I, I think that you guessed what they said. I really wish it was different, but oh my God, almost unanimously, fall in chocolate, fall in chocolate. Oh no, fall in chocolate. And I'm getting like, I'm like, what? Dang, I'm like, eh, nobody? Nobody gonna say fall in love? So then chat box went off. Mind you, it's 9.15 in the morning. So one girl is like, yeah, um, what'd she say? I'd rather pimp than simp. I said, oh, Joy. I don't, first of all, I don't even know what the girl looks like because she don't be having her face in the camera. But then every there was a slew of yeah, like, yeah, pimping is hard out here nowadays. Or like, yeah, pimp over simp. And I'm getting like personal messages talking about, well, yeah, because if you like, I'd rather fall in chocolate because when you fall in love, people can hurt you and cheat on you. My job, she's seventh grade, y'all. So <laughs> it's laugh. I'm glad you're laughing. <laughs> because this is wild. Like they sound like us. <laughs> they they do. And like for me, it was it was disheartening because I see myself as a lover, and I'm in a space where I'm trying to like accept my emotional side and be more vulnerable. Vulnerable. That's a hard word to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm a huge opponent for all about love buy bell hooks that's a book you should buy it they should pay me for telling you to buy it but yes, anyway because i have two copies because of you <laughs> okay um but we live in like a culture of lovelessness where it is like more of a capitalistic get to the bag before you fall in love but there's so there's so much good that comes from love and relationships and these kids can't even recognize that um Fall in love doesn't just mean romantic love with a romantic partner. Like, I mm-hmm. deeply love my friends. My friends know that. I deeply love myself. You can fall in love with yourself. But they immediately associate love with something negative, and love is not to be that. Yeah. Um, love is, with love can come pain, but mm-hmm. the way that humans are built, like, we are resilient beings, and we always bounce back. But we're teaching our kids to live in the space of being love avoidant. hmm and then mm-hmm. if you're love avoided, it also takes away some of the aspect of emotional intelligence because yes. you should be able to be vulnerable and know that, you know, sometimes you might get hurt, but that is the natural, the yin and yang, the flow of life. Yeah. And you have to build the coping mechanisms to, 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 um, to deal with that or you block and blessing. So it was disheartening. I just told them, I was like, you know, it's very normal to love. Like we actually would not really be able to survive without love. And I want y'all to know that it's okay if you want, like you should want to fall in love, like, right. And I'm saying for myself, like I do want to fall in love with somebody. So once I said that and I normalized, I got like three private messages. We were like, oh, we'll fall in love. And I was like, okay, well, we're getting somewhere. You yes. just need to know yes. this is a safe space to say, I do want to fall in love. Yes. And and then I think that that's what it is, too, because I think oftentimes people don't know how to define it, like you said. And this is why I I wonder if we were taught like, you know, how sex ed is like a crucial part of education. Like we we learn it at like a certain grade. You get to get the whole parent waiver uh, form that goes home. Yada yada. I wonder if we were Mm -hmm. to do the same thing with like a love and relationships course and just talk that talk about that and have it. And so that students know 
what language and what a positive relationship lo looks like or what, what does it mean to be growth oriented in a relationship? What does it mean to be working on yourself in a relationship? And that's relationship in general. Like that does not mean that this needs to be the person that you're marrying, but just like you said, your friend. So like, I wonder if these were aspects of relationships that were being talked about, what those students have responded differently to the question. That I think that that's something that I'm always, but given that uh, they were hitting you up on the side, I, I, I can only imagine that that, that's what's that's kind of a missing key. So I wonder how we could reformat like SEL curriculum to include that side of it. Like, don't give me that surface level. Um, how do you be nice to a friend? Like, no, like what does like, give me the language? How, how What language should I be using to build? What should we be focusing on? What should what types of questions should we be asking each other when we're spending time with one another? Those are the types of things that you that I think that we need. OK, to Jai, you are really excited and you are talking about the ideal school right now. You're really asking. <laughs> I do school. We have a later episode for we this. Do, we do, we do, we do, we do. Dang it. I'm, 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 I'm jumping the gun. Jumping the gun. Jumping, and I'm, I'm taking them to notes so I can type them down. Right. Here. Exactly. We are about to transition into our first concept development about the ideal school. Here we are moving to the concept development. Our veteran advocates know what this segment is all about, but for our new listeners, allow me to explain. This is a segment of the show where we dive into a main topic of discussion. Today, we're going to be providing a COVID update in regards to school reopenings and also providing some parameters on what our ideal school post-quarantine would look like. So this episode drops on March 15th which is two days after the anniversary of when quarantine happened and my career changed uh, for at least a year, right? It'll be a year in this virtual teaching game. Um, I'm just recalling, and Jahai can attest to it, like my anxiety was through the roof, baby. Um, yeah, I'm really at a loss of words to explain it. You can actually go back to season one, listen to our COVID updates, and you can hear the anxious feelings in my voice, actually. And this is when I first realized how naive I was and thinking that we were gonna be just out for two weeks. And then after two weeks, they sent it for more two weeks. And after then I was like, you know what? I cannot keep worrying about stuff I can't control. We ain't going back to school. And look at us now, a year later, we not in school. Um, so I wanted to just give some updates uh, about like teacher deaths. Um, there are hundreds and hundreds of teacher deaths. There are various sources that record these different hundreds of teachers losses. And when you read some of these articles, um, you just see that schools are carrying on as business as usual. Um, and there's not much grief counseling. There's not much mental health support or social emotional support even for students just because we haven't done it at this capacity. And unfortunately, I believe we talked about in season one, you should go check that out. Um, uh, we, me and Jihad met at a school and we actually had one of our students' dads passed away. Um, and there are other people who live, who work at schools where the students pass away. And there is no like grief plan or system that's set in place. And this is just for like regular deaths that happen. And so the deaths at this magnitude there, I, I personally would need to see a plan, a, a grief plan. Um, because we can't just go on as business as usual. Teachers are, some teachers are leaving and some teachers are like, well, I can't leave because I need these, these health benefits. And um, for me, it, it's most damaging because mental health of teachers is not being considered and it's never been considered. And we've been talking about how 
um, destructive this job can be or the culture of the job can be to our mental psyche. And so now adding on the fear and anxiety around COVID and adding on the pressure of, dang, I gotta, go, I gotta support my family so I cannot not be here. And then adding on the fact that people can wake up and in one school within 48 hours, like three teachers have passed away within 48 hours. You don't even have time to process one because you gotta go to the next one. Um, so it's, it's pretty scary. It is pretty scary and that is what's happening. Um, not to start us on a negative note, but the issue is that the media is not describing this. You have, um, honestly, you have white women in high positions um, on CNN talking about how schools need to be reopening and teachers not need to stop being punks and get back in schools, but they don't even know how schools operate. Their schools, for me, seem very different if you're on CNN and you are white in America. Your school is probably very different from the school that I worked at. Um, and it's just not acknowledging, like it just doesn't give space for nuances or for us to respond to the nuances. Um, and it's, it's tricky. This part is kind of tricky because we want the federal government still to this day <laughs> to mandate reopening criteria. But the way that this, the way that this government is set up, state legislation actually controls what goes on in schools. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked about the Secretary of Ed earlier. They decide how government funding is used, right? So there is, while the federal government can't say no, your schools can't reopen, and yes, your schools can reopen, they can use money and hang it over state legislators' heads to coax them into opening up schools that are not ready. Um, or they can't provide a plan to say how much they're ready. So that's the scary part of it. And that's why I've, I've opened up with this negative piece because capitalism is ruling the world right now. And they are, schools that are not prepared to open are gonna open because of this potential money coaxing situation. I want to make that very clear. And <laughs> the jihad is just nodding his head. Yeah. I, I, and the reason why is like, if we go back, like, like you said, go back to the episode that we, where we were talked about the first time that um, COVID became a reality for us. And I think I blurred that fit, the feeling that we were, that you were experiencing with the, the feeling of thinking about my student's father passing away. And I just think about like, if that moved me, like how are kids going to operate? How are kids going to function? But moreover, how are adults and teachers who have been teaching in the midst? Like, I, I don't know if I told you this lens, a teacher started teaching, a teacher friend that I graduated with, um, she did not go to school for teaching, um, but she became an educator um, just by testing in, um, taking the practice, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. She became a teacher. She became an educator in somewhere in Massachusetts in August. I just read a post of hers about three weeks ago saying that she resigned effective yeah. immediately because she said, I will no longer continue to put a job before my mental health and before my family. And Period. And I saw Mary thing. had a little yeah. And it's just so sad because if she could experience that in less than a year, just imagine the teachers who have been doing this work for years who have not been being appreciated before this. And so I think that that's why it just really, it shakes me to my core to, to hear that at the beginning of the pandemic, we were talking about how teachers need to be paid more. And at the end of the, or at, not even at the end of the pandemic, but in the middle, in the midst of a pandemic, now we're talking about um, how can we cut corners to hurry up and get educators back into the classroom to, to make sure that they're taking care of kids. How can we cut corners? Exactly. 
And so when we also think about this process of cutting corners, we can also, we can think about the vaccine. And I want to first start with this disclaimer that we are about to talk about the vaccine. This is in no, no way, shape or form to convince people to take it or convince people to not take it. This is a very neutral stance that we're taking. And the Formist Pipeline is not taking a very Uh neutral stance. We are, we believe, I am pro-choice. Okay. Uh, okay. So, but I do want to talk about the, the, there is a vaccine map when we think about teachers and their eligibility. You can go to edweek.org. It's actually a really great space um, for people who want to know more about the education system. Um, right now, most states are allowed, have some type of system for teacher eligibility. And this has been updated as of March 3rd. Um, so most states have teacher eligibility for the vaccine, but it, it varies based on like teacher eligibility doesn't mean all teachers. I want to make that very clear because just last week, DC was only offering um, the vaccine to teachers that opted in to the reopening plan, not all teachers like in preparation for when we all go back in. So just, I think on Monday is when all teachers are eligible, but of course it's like survival of the fittest, hunger games to actually get the vaccine. Um, so there are, let me see, I think there's, there's nine states where teachers aren't even eligible yet. For whatever reason, that particular state has put them in a different phase. That particular state may have teachers in the building already, but teachers are not eligible. And when we think about, we also think about uh, states like Georgia. Yeah, Georgia is not teachers aren't even eligible yet. They they start vaccine. They get eligible for vaccination on March eighth. But that's crazy to me. That's crazy that the state legislation wasn't like you know we should wait till we could get some at least teachers are eligible for a vaccine whether they decide to get it or not before we go yeah. into school. I just think that that is a proper that's a proper step and that type of step has been that idea. Didn't come from state legislation. It came from federal government that we need uh, a vaccine. So here we are. Um, what else can I say about these? Uh, just generally, most states are have some teacher eligibility. Some of them are only based by age. So the criteria is different from state to state. So definitely look up your state. Go to edweek.org again to figure out this teacher eligibility um, based on your state. Yeah, and and I appreciate it because I feel like that's the perfect segue into this. I'm not going to spend too long on this because I feel like there's some other better points that we need to hit. Um, But just as far as like school reopenings and the response of the federal government lens hit on this, but I think that the the most recent kind of update that we got from the Biden administration is that by May, (laughs) by May, the goal is for in-person instruction to resume. I will say that the message is a little bit more muddled now in the sense that they're saying that they're thinking about like one day a week in person. So originally, I think it was more so like a five days. Now we done shifted that down to one. And the reason why is because we know that space is limited in schools. So six feet social distancing is not going to be able to occur in schools. We know this. And and we know that teachers, just like you said, Liz, teachers aren't being prioritized for the vaccines in in, in some states. And so uh, based off of NEA survey recently, 82% of educators had not received the vaccine. And that was, uh, I would say, uh, probably about at the beginning of February. So I know that things have shifted to Johnson Johnson vaccines coming out, but it still is not like 82%. That's a lot. 
Um, and, and then last but not least, but as of February 21st, 31% of K through 12 students were still attending schools virtually. And then nearly 43% of students enrolled in schools that are open, uh, that are enrolled in schools um, that are currently doing five days a week in person. So I think at the end of the day, what we're about to see is a teacher union showdown, which we're seeing in the <laughs> District of Columbia, which is very interesting um, because we know that here in DC, or I just actually found this out, that in DC, it's illegal for government employees to strike. So that's the reason why the Gov DC government took uh, the Washington Teachers Union to court to file a restraining order against the teacher union from barring them from having conversations because the last conversation that they had, they were saying that they're planning to meet to discuss taking a mental health leave um, to make sure that teachers receive both vaccines before they go into the classroom. So these things make sense. And it's unfortunate that this is what we're coming to. And as we all know, what oftentimes happens is what we're not going to teachers to see like, what is it that, how can we best support you? The expectation is to just do what government employees and policymakers think is best. And those, guess what? Those are not the Miguel Cardonas. They, they, these folks did not serve in a classroom for the most part. So I just really wish that we would shift the narrative to, to figure out what the people on the front line are doing and what, what the people on the front line want more importantly. Give me a breather. Give me a breather. <laughs> so I, I think shifting that to the positive side of what's been kind of happening um, in the well, past. Well, actually, before we move to the positive side, oh, oh talk to me. Talk to me. <laughs> um, you said something important about um, people listening to teachers, and I'm just like that. That's what. That's the main piece. Like we started this. Like these are unprecedented times. Thank you for being these unprecedented times. It's not unprecedented times anymore, my, my guy. Yep. It's not unprecedented. Your teachers have the most knowledge on how to operate a virtual school. We know more than our leaders. Granted, I've known more than all my leaders. I, okay. And I say that with full on confidence. Amen. Um, but we know more and, the, it, and it's like, we go back to like white supremacist culture and how if there aren't quantitative data points and it doesn't exist, right? Um, but no one's asked me about my qualitative data, about what my noticings are. I've had like one survey in a year, y'all, in a year. And I work at a very popular charter school mm. that has lots and lots of money. Lots mm -hmm. lots of money. So much money. They, I didn't tell you this, but they have a Nikki Giovanni um, perform on a, virtual, on a virtual thing next oh, week. Oh, wow. But That's my girl. But y'all only sent one survey to teachers? That's not acceptable. To get the qualitative data about what, what is best. And it's going to, one day a week, that sounds good to people. It sounds good to ignorant people who've never been in a damn school because one day a week in person is going to be more disruptive than the routine that they're already in. But don't let me tell it. Let me move on to positive reflections. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm getting worked up. But let me let you take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You're right, though. You're right. It's the truth, though, Liz. It, it, and it's sad because it, it's really not that hard. Like, all we have to do is just say, hey, what do you guys want to do? And like, how can we collectively come to an agreement? Like, we're people, we're humans, and we just cannot sit down and come to ugh, capitalism, exactly. like you said earlier, though. It's capitalism. I know teachers, one, teachers who have opted in, right? And then there's teachers who probably would opt in if dot, dot, dot. You know what I'm saying? Right, And there's some right. teachers that's just not going to opt in. But it's, I know my boundaries, which is why I'm not even going to get worked up about this because there's no Amen. point in me getting worked up about something that I know I have control over. Mm -hmm. um, 
but there are positive things that I've definitely learned from teaching. Um, technology, y'all. Why nobody told me to use technology? I'm lying because people told me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you were just um, avoidant, okay? <laughs> like, I didn't know what Zoom was. I'm like, I'm not using this shit, Jihad. Why are you asking me about that? Um, but here we are. There's tech tools that I'm absolutely going to use. If you are a teacher and you don't know what Desmos is, D-E-S-M-O-S, please tap, tap into Desmos. It's a great way to like teach kids virtually. You can see their work as they do it. And they're updating stuff. That's one thing I do enjoy, like Zoom, Desmos, and other like Classkick have updated and added more features, Google Classroom as well, to, um, to aid teachers in teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're not talking about, which is what's pissing me off, is that we're not talking about the kids who are thriving virtually right now. Hmm. Everybody is not thinking. Everybody's not thinking. I'm talking about like the kids who are like, you know, whatever you want to call them, gifted and talented. Some of them are just on grade level and y'all keep calling them gifted and talented, but whatever. Um, but the kids who like have the, the quick number sense, the, quick, the kids who are very organized because their parents yes. have like taught them certain, certain discipline skills. Those kids who are in a routine are really thriving. They don't right. have a fake A. They have a real A because they really understand the content. And we're not right. talking about them. Like, they, they don't have to wait for the rest of the class who's lower than them for mm-hmm. them to learn. And I really enjoy that piece. And I wish more people would talk about it, honestly. Hmm. I, and just to hit on that, I think that that's interesting um, because there's a world that can exist at post-COVID and making sure that those types of students, if they want to opt into that type of learning, like, why can't we set that up for them? And I think that that's, that's what I wanted to come out of this pandemic is like us to recreate ways to engage students. And I I think that we're not really Mm -hmm. focusing on that. Mm -hmm. It's just all focused on like deficits-based thinking about how everybody needs to be back in school because that's what makes sense. And we all know that that's not the answer, but. We don't need it. We, we don't need everyone to be back. I personally like the autonomy because my leaders don't, you know, nobody has the answers. I can create my own answers and I love doing what I want. Yes. <laughs> I also feel like I could be even more authentic with the kids because because we've never met in person, I actually have to show my personality, um, which is really nice. And I feel like, like I have one, one girl in my second class. It was my favorite class. And I told them they're my favorite class. They'd be like, oh, you just saying them like, one thing about me, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> One thing's for certain, two care. things for sure. Yes. All right. I don't quite care to impress you in that way. Um, but I have this one girl. Uh, we'll just call her D for the sake of uh, anonymity. Is that how you say it? Anonymity? No. Anonymity. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, y'all know what I'm saying. Um, but she thinks that we, we talk in the chat box. We have a soul connection because she thinks that like we relate so much because of the music or things we say, or like we end up just doing the same thing over the weekend. Mind you, we've never met, but it's so nice. Cause I'm like, would we have had this experience in person? Yeah. Like, would you have felt confident enough to be like, oh, there's an adult here. Um, and I can talk to her and tell her that I feel connected to her and she doesn't think I'm weird. You know what I'm saying? Like there's hmm. validation that is happening within my chat box that I don't think would happen. I don't think would happen outside of it. Because all her responses are private. So I'm like, oh, you don't want people to see it. Like, mm-hmm. even for, like random responses, which means that would you have had the same security or the same self-esteem to have these same conversations with me in person when there are mm-hmm. other people competing for my attention? Um, okay, That's positive. I love that. Yes. Positive. We got yes. to think about that. 
Um, we also get to have different conversations that we wouldn't normally have. Like, I don't know if I could really moderate a conversation about falling in love and pimp over simp in the classroom. Like the way that, the way the emotions would be going up and down and like I, this is the, the boy, girl, the gender di dynamic, don't want to not acknowledge that there are other genders. Um, but for the sake of the classroom and the common, unfortunately, the common talk in the classroom is that boy, girl dynamic and the socialization and what that looks like around certain conversations mm -hmm. um, and like the power dynamic. When we think about the patriarchy in the classroom where we have had the same conversation. Would yeah. a girl be the first one to say pimp over, no pimping, like pimp over sense? You know what I'm saying? There's yeah. different opportunities that I would not think would have happened in the classroom. Um, but what I will say, this is a good and type of bad, kind of a bad thing. The gaps within the schools, when we think about um, communication with parents and lack of account of lack of systems of accountability. Mm -hmm. So parents keep asking me, oh, what's my child's grade? What they missing? Why you didn't tell me they missed two days of school? I didn't tell you this because we have school-wide systems that you can actually, like you have your own personal login to where you can see the grades. I'm not texting you. I'm not texting you. I'm, I tell them straight up. My other peers might say it. I'm not texting you. One thing about Ms. Black, I'm not texting 86, 86 parents. There are systems. If you want to have specific conversations, you can reach out. I may reach out, but there's power school where you can check the grades. There's Dean's List that gives you a weekly progress report with the wow. attendance and, the, and our um, positive behavior system points. So... If you don't know how to do it, that's actually a fault on my admin in my eyes. And they need to close that gap because I am not the sole bearer of information for your child because your child knows why they're failing. Did you yeah. ask him? Did you ask her? Okay. You didn't? All right. And that's real. I love that. I love that. And I love that you're shifting that energy because I do think that oftentimes the burden is put on educators to be the end all be all for all things, everything. Like everything. you have to train parents on how to use those systems. But just like you said, administrators get that email knowing that um, so-and-so's mother has not logged into whatever the platform is once this week or once in two weeks or once in three weeks. Thank you. That's their, that's their job to do that reach out. That's their job to follow up on that. That should not be on, that should not be the teacher's burden. Everything cannot live with the teacher. So yeah, I respect that. And I think that something else that I read recently, um, there's a school district in North Carolina and they basically just implemented night schooling basically for kids. And they saw in-person or virtual attendance increase by like 80%. And so like when I talk about new and new ways of innovation, that's what I'm talking about. Like, let's find solutions to the problems. OK, students aren't showing up. How do we solve this problem? Let's get creative. You have to think outside of the box. What's been working or what's been happening in schools has not been working. So we got to shift. We got to shift the way that we do things. And so I, I think that that, like you said, I, I appreciate all the great things that have come out um, of your classroom and all the realizations of tech tools and things of that, that nature. But I just really want us to, like you said, uplift the positive things because that needs to be said more and it's not being celebrated like the way it should be. Absolutely. And I think that we could go over the list of things that we would have in our, our ideal school plan for reopening. But I really feel like we, we named most of, the, most of them, right? We need like an, an opt-in option. We need more parent involvement. We need these innovative ideas of like having nice school or having um, students be able to do like a, some days on tech or some mornings on tech. We need social emotional support for teachers and we need social emotional support 
for students. We need admin to listen to. That's Amen. What we need. We, <laughs> okay. need to, we need the teacher voice. Yes. So those are aspects of our ideal school when we think about going back to school post-quarantine. But we want to ask you, our advocates, just to think about this, think on this. What does your ideal school look like? Very generally, what does your ideal look, school look like? What does it feel like when you walk in? What are the teachers saying when you walk in? What does your schoolwork look like? What is your what does your parents' involvement look like? Hmm. We really want you to think about that ideal school as we close out our first episode of semester one of the Reformist Pipelines podcast. It's time for the call to action. If you're one of our veteran advocates, you know this segment is where we give you an action step in how you can support change in our education system. The Reformist Pipeline hopes to be a source for all stakeholders in the education system, including parents, y'all. So this week, we are asking that you support a parent in need. A dear friend of mine, Nini, has a beautiful one-year-old son. Okay, he an Aquarius too. Um, and he is already so intelligent and so capable. Nini has been working her ass off in this new coding school that she is in. And might I add that she has a full ride, a full ride in this coding program. Yes. To her, which is just a testament to her work ethic, her ability, her pride in um, herself, her pride in being a mother. But unfortunately, she is in a space where she's unable to fully thrive and focus on school because she is simultaneously taking care of her son. Nini is in need of funding. And this is where you come in. Advocates, this is where you come in. Nini wants to send her son to a kinder care where they have an enriching education program and they uphold strong COVID guidelines. If you are willing and able, please donate to Nini's son education fund through her GoFundMe page. The link to the GoFundMe page um, is going to be detailed in the description or you can find it in the bio of our new um, Instagram page or you can find us at thereformerspipeline.com. So if you would like to step up to the plate and receive this call to action, please make sure you are clicking that link and you are donating to Nini's son's education fund. Yes, and y'all don't forget, just like Lynn said, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. It's at The Reformist Pipeline. Super excited for our new page. Share our post, y'all, that's there because some great content. We want you to go ahead and browse on through it. Um, check out the website as well, thereformerspipeline.com. And if you have any feedback, positive thoughts, or desire to be featured on our show, don't hesitate. Hit us up, visit our website, provide that information, or email us at thereformerspipeline at gmail.com. Nonetheless, advocates, we appreciate you and look forward to discussing our ideal school. Thank you for listening and making it through our first episode of our second season. And remember, please stand up for educators, y'all. Peace, love, and light. Hootie hoo.